0: father we just thank you for this opportunity that we have to come to your word your word is life to us O god your word gives understanding to the simple lord your word is hidden our hearts so that we do not sin against you your word says how shall a young man keep his way clean by keeping it according to thy word Lord, we're not coming here to hear man's opinions. We're not coming here to investigate our world, worldly ideology, Father. We're coming here to sit at the feet of Jesus and to hear His Word. And Father, I ask, O oh God, that we would receive the, with meekness the engrafted Word which is able to save us, that we would abide in Your Word and that Your Word would abide in us, O oh God. And Lord, that we will be changed and transformed so that we become like your word. And Lord, that we would be an expression of your word, Father, and that we would go out and preach your word, Father, in everything that we do. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name and everyone said, Amen. Okay, walk worthy. Um, this is the passage of scripture. We, we uh, Remember, we only got... Halfway through it when we had our fellowship lunch or something like that, and I I got stuck or something because we had a late service. So, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's the passage of scripture we're going to be dealing with today. If you remember, we stopped and we talked about uh, the fact that Paul said he was the prisoner of the Lord. Uh, he was in a jail at the time or in house arrest at the time when he wrote the, the epistle of, uh, to the Ephesians, the Colossians, the Philippians and and he, um, and he the Galatians. And, and so he was in chains for the gospel's sake. He was actually a Roman citizen and a Jewish citizen and he was in chains by the Roman government. But he didn't choose to actually see his chains in that way. He chose to determine the things that would chain him he chose to select his chains and so when we read that the prisoner of the Lord we recognize that you have in your situation to choose your chains you have to choose the things that are going to tie you up you're going to have to choose the thing going to chain you up now last night I mean I, I woke up early this morning around about one o'clock And I just lay there in my bed thinking, it's too early to get up and start praying for church today. So I just lay there and start praying for church. And as I'm praying, God starts showing me some things while I'm laying in bed. You know, He starts showing me the chains that people chain themselves up with. You know, the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. That means we don't wrestle against people, we're wrestling against demons. Now, in our society, in our culture, our culture says, you know, there's no such thing as supernatural. It's all sort of material. Everything is a material basis. So we tend to, in our culture, in the Western society, minimalize the activity of Satan and his demons. So they're put out there in some sort of spooky place, but we don't really think about it. We think about them when we see some sort of spooky movie with some sort of extraterrestrial or something like that. And we, or we see hear that on the screen and we think, oh, yeah, maybe that's about the demons, you know. Or if somebody in, that we know gets into the occult and the new age stuff, and we think and listen to him, and it 's a bit spooky. You know? but apart from that, we really don't think too much about demons. And yet our major interface in the spiritual world is with demons. The major, most of our lives during the week, we are being bashed about, assaulted and smashed by demonic principalities and powers. It's not OK that a church this size should go through all of that bashing. I don't know about you, but I just don't think it's okay. I mean, I, I sit down and I talk to what, people as I'm going through the week and as I'm talking to people, I see demonic influences in people's lives, taking them aside, distracting them, making them angry, getting them frustrated, watching them go, getting them materialistic. And all those sort of things come over their lives. And I, I think, you know, there's nothing but that's a demonic thing. Uh, we don't see it as a demon We just think it's life, but it's not okay that it happens. Somewhere along the line, we have to wake up to ourselves and see that the things that come and assault us on a daily basis are not just natural things. They have a source to undermine us, and that source to undermine us, to take us away from God, they want to send us to hell. They want to take us away so we lose our faith in Jesus. Now let's sort of think about some of those chains that come upon our lives. You've got change life. The ideas that come into your life that God is not faithful, the ideas that come into your life that God is not glorious, that maybe there is no God at all, maybe we just all live in some sort of phantom lie, you know? A subtle idea as you're sitting in the university course that comes across your mind, is God real or is it just a figment of our imagination? When you're sitting on the bus and you're travelling somewhere, this idea that life is about living life now, you know, if I could just forget about God. Those sort of ideas, they are not just ideas that plummet through your mind. They are demonically inspired ideas that are sown into your eye by a demon that wants to take away your faith from God and take away your trust in God and take away your worship from God. What about those ideas that come into your mind that, that decide that you want to get that car, want to get that house, want to get that thing, want to get it and, you want to, you, and you're so proud. of You sit down, you, you look at that thing, you look at it, isn't that a beautiful thing and that thing belongs to me, you know. Those ideas where you have pride of possession, where that thing becomes your little idol. Those ideas are not just random ideas. They've been sewn in there, signed by a demonic principle, and they have chains that will tie you up if you let them exist. If you leave them there, they will wrap you up. They will tie you up. You will start to really get a strong attitude to think that I don't really think I believe in God anymore or I really don't need God anymore. I've got all the stuff I need myself or I've got to get more stuff. Chains that wrap ourselves up. Sown in by some demonic principality and power that just whispered in our ears, and you know what? He just sounds like you. It sounds like your thoughts. So when he speaks to you, it sounds like Juliet is speaking to Juliet, saying these things. And that's why you don't twigger, think, "Oh, it's just me thinking. But the Bible says it's not just you thinking. The Bible says that those thoughts are being sown into your head by some principality and power, and that the weapons of your warfare are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds, whereby you cast down those thoughts and those imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, and you bring every thought into captivity. But we don't do that because we don't think it's the devil. He's got to be standing in front of us with a pitchfork and a little red uh, jumper on before we stop and start saying, It's the devil. All the other thoughts are just random ideas and with every random idea comes a chain and you have to choose your chains. What about those ideas that say you can just lose your anger and you can blaspheme. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, did I say that? Oh, God. Oh, my God. Did I say? You know, it's just, I just said it. It's just an expression of those random ideas that say, you can just do that. That's just an expression of your heart. A random idea designed to belittle God, to take God out of the, and to make him like he's not worthy of worship. What about those ideas that tumble through your mind that say, you know, it's Sunday. What a great... The sun is shining. It would be great at the beach. You know, there's a music festival on at the Botanical Gardens. i just got to go there. You know, be, you know, we don't have to hang around at church. You know, church is bigger than CDM. Those random thoughts that come along with chains to wrap you up. What about those chains where you're sitting down and you're thinking, how dare she say that? You're talking about your mother. You know, I don't have to do what she wants me to do. I've got my own life now. I'm a big girl. My dad wants me to do this. I don't like my dad anymore. That contention that comes in the family, you know, that aggravation that comes, that fighting and that bickering that starts happening amongst the kids, the contesting. like what Chains. Demonic chains that wrap themselves around your head that if you let them stay there, they will build such a bondage there that you won't break it. Chains that break relationships, that separate people, ideas that separate and divorce people from each other, separate their lives from each other, build up attitudes between each other so that there is a brokenness in relationship. What about those anger thoughts that come tumbling through your mind? The ones that have loaded, I'm going to hit that person, I'm going to smash that person, I'm going to get that person back for what they've done. Just ideas, demonic ideas, signed in by a demonic being starting an idea in your mind of hatred and murder to wrap you up, to chain you up to stop you from going forward you've got to choose your chains what about those chains that come in the night time those ideas in the night time through a dream where somebody comes and visits you and makes you feel good in your dream time but that dream is not the person that you are married it's somebody else what about those ideas of covetousness those ideas of lying, dishonesty. All those ideas, where do they come from? Where do they come from? I mean, if we could just get our heads out of the rot, if we could just get our heads out of the dirt. But you choose your chain. You choose your meditation. You choose the thing that you will wrap around yourself. If you've chosen to be a prisoner of the Lord, then you have chosen to have the mind of Christ. And you choose when you become a prisoner of the Lord to only let the Lord's words dwell in your mind and in your heart. That means that you have to be vigilant every day because your enemy, the lion, the devil, is walking around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And you must resist him in your faith. You must resist him. You know, this week, did you resist him? It was hard this week, it was difficult this week. The clouds of persecution, of misunderstanding, come rolling in with lightning dropping around you changing your view, changing your emotions, taking away your joy, taking away your zeal, taking away your vision. Oh, they cloud in you and you think, is it ever going to stop and be sunny again? But you choose your meditation. You choose the chain. And Paul, when he says, Paul a prisoner of the Lord and I'm preaching the sermon again but I'm preaching the sermon again because I think that we need to be reminded of this it's not okay that the devil can walk freely through a fellowship of people who love one another and bring discord amongst one another It's not okay that the devil can walk into a family situation and start to break up individuals within a family situation. It's not okay that the devil can walk in with the kids and start the kids to rebel against the parents. It's not okay. It's not a generation gap. It's not growing up. That's just rebellion. It's not okay. And it's not the kids. It's the demon behind the kids that the kids tend to chain themselves to. And it's not okay. It's not okay for us to sit down and think, oh, well, let's just life and go through it, and see people leave the fellowship because of interpersonal tro- problems or disillusionment with God or something. It's not okay that happens. It's not okay. Because if they keep on that track and they keep walking down that way, you know what? The chairs will become even more empty. And we'll say, where have they gone? I've gone listening listening to something that sounds like their own voice but that's got a chain connected to it and it's going to tie them up Christianity is a walk it's a proactive walk it's not a, it's not just okay I, I, I gave my heart to Jesus and I may gave it to uh, Jesus you're in my heart you saved me from my sins you died on the cross for me that's 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 the beginning, it's the doorway to the path that's leading us. And the path has to do with your vibration against every principality in power. I want you to stand up now. Stand up on your feet. You would have felt and you will have figured some of this stuff going on in your head this week you would have felt some of that nonsense clouding your brain and taking away your zing from your spirit you would have felt the interactions taking place in your life you would have felt that you know why because the devil's not dead he's alive and well and he's looking to thrash around because he knows his days are short you have a choice today You are shake those chains off. You want to do that? Shake it. I'm serious. I am serious. You need to shake it. And the harder those chains were, you need to shake it harder. How much do you want to be free? Uh, you think about it it says in Isaiah that you're to break the chains of injustice and the word break means to shake off so what I'm doing now is I'm practically doing something that has wrapped up your life now you I don't know about you but if you have been chained up this week you need to loosen it you need to loosen it off See, just take it out of your body, get it off your body and say, get off me, Satan, you are not going to mess me around anymore. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. It's easy for an African to do this because this is what Africans do. It's true. It's easy. And it's come coming off coming off in jesus name father we just come to you right now and we shake this lord it is not okay it is not okay that the demons can run around lord jesus in this fellowship and do what they will it is not okay that that happens lord so we shake them off now in jesus name Lord, we come against every principality and power that would undermine the work of God in this place. Father, that would bring disillusionment to people's heart and that would break the the lives and the confidence of people right now. In Jesus' name, Lord, that would set up a stronghold of lust, Lord Jesus, of of deceit, Lord Jesus, of, of crime, Lord Jesus, of pornography, Lord Jesus. We bind them in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, we loose this fellowship to your liberty of the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of Jesus is, there is liberty now Lord Jesus and Lord we thank you for that in the name of Jesus we thank you for it in Jesus mighty name right now that your liberty reigns in this place Lord Jesus in Jesus name amen amen thank you Jesus you may be seated this walk that we are to walk and Jesus says it's a broad way that leads to destruction but it's a narrow path that leads to life and few are those that find it this walk that we are to walk the word walk has three meanings in the Greek and the other meanings there to make one's way as in to walk to make one's way, to progress and to make due use of opportunities. And we discussed those last week. We talked about what those meant. We talked about you have to choose the path that you walk. You've got to make a choice with regard to the path that you walk. We know that the statistics tell us, clearly, um, and a lot of polls, Gallup polls, uh, Barna polls, uh, tell us that There's no difference morally between a a saved person and an unsaved person. They do exactly the same thing. The saved person takes as many drugs as the unsaved person. The saved person is involved in as much immorality as the unsaved person. There's as many divorces in the saved people as there there are in the unsaved people. It, It shouldn't be that way. That's what the polls tell us. So that's just the way it is. That says you go down and, and you look at the scientific evidence. You say, find that, that Christians do gambling just as un, unsaved people do gambling. They do drinking just as unsaved people drink. They get drunk and they do immorality just like unsaved people do. There's no basic difference. It is a shame. It's because, it's because in our society we are being bombarded with those ideas that come from the world that undermine and say, it's not really wrong, it's sort of relative, you know, morality. It's like it's no absolute. It's Well, as long as I'm not hurting anybody and the lies begin to chain us again. That's the path. But you have to make a choice whether you're going to be a fundamental, narrow, stuck-in-the-wood person and say, you know, I believe that when God made Adam and Eve, he made man and woman to be united as one. And I don't care what New Zealand's parliament says about marriage, the union of man and a man. That's not going to faze me. And I don't care if Gillard does that either. That's still not going to change my mind. And I can sit and talk to a dozen other people to tell me it's not fair It's not about fear. It's not about it's about God's right and God's wrong. It's about his path and it's about walking his path. And that's the choice you make. You choose your path. There's a highway of holiness and there's another way. You choose your path you also choose your pace along that path the progress that you make you choose the speed at which you travel you can you can struggle every day with the stuff that's coming along you can you can get all upset about what's going on and you can slow your whole progress down because you spend so much time in magazines and so much time in movies and so much time just diddling around doing nothing and little time in the things of God and little time in prayer you can slow your whole progress down a whole lot Or you can speed it up a whole lot by getting into the Word of God and getting into prayer and really seeking God for what He wants to do in your life and really stepping out in faith and really being bold. You can really speed that up. That pace is up to you. You choose the pace. How long do you want to sit and struggle with the stuff? Well, I'm going to wean myself off the stuff. Well, someone else says, I'm just going to stop it now. You choose the pace. And you also choose your opportunities. You can miss your opportunities and sit there for Lord and say, I wish I'd taken that opportunity. Next time I'll take that opportunity and the next time comes around and you miss that opportunity as well. I really do intend to be good. I really do. And you're full of good intentions, but you miss every opportunity that it presents itself, even though you're full of good intentions. Those good intentions are not translated into good actions because you don't take those opportunities. You choose all of those. So when we walk this path, this is a path where we choose our chains, where we choose the path that we take, where we choose the pace that we are, and we choose our opportunities. And that's what I preached about last time when we're here. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The calling was an invitation. Remember, I grabbed Ray and said, come on, Ray, come on up here. And he had to leave his seat to come up to me. An invitation implies that you are going to leave some place and move to somewhere else. An invitation, if I said to Juliet, Juliet, come, she would leave her seat and she would come to me if I was insistent. What would she leave? She leaves where she sits and she comes to a new place. So an invitation, a calling, when you've received an invitation, a calling, you've, re- you've left your old life and the sin of that old life and you've responded to Jesus and you've moved toward Jesus to salvation, to live a new life. So you've gone from sin to salvation, you've gone from flesh to spirit, you've gone from death to life, you've gone from from darkness to light, you've gone from Mine, everything is mine and it's what I have to everything belongs to God. It's all God's, everything is God's. That's it. This is the calling that we have received. The calling that we received is not a religious invitation to come to a Sunday event. Or come along, we're having a get down go you like church. No, this is, this is not Sunday event that you're called to. This is a life with Jesus that you're invited to enter into. It's a relationship, a communion, a walk of love, where you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you love your fellow man. Just as Christ loved us. It says, be completely humble. So Paul is actually thinking these things through. As he's writing it, I can just see him sitting there. And if he's got a, a, a scribe writing it forward or he's writing with his own hands, sometimes they had a scribe writing it for him. He would say, now, write the word humble down. Be completely humble. And that word humble. has three basic ideas here's the first having a humble opinion of oneself that's foreign to us in our society because we have changed the whole way of looking in this society and so in the 1970s, 1960s, 1970s self-image became the very big uh, positive thing you know Vincent Peel, Norman Vincent Peel, and have a positive thinking about yourself, positive image, you know, be thinking good things about you, you can do it, I believe in myself, you know, and then we we traded our senses away, and we listened to the care bears, and they told just believe in yourself, and we, we made that Christianity, it came into the churches through a whole lot of self-help books where they talked about your self-image as being the most important thing. The, the idea was if you have a low self-image, you have a poor self-image, then you're probably prone to do bad things. But the, the, the trouble is the statistics showed us the, 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 when they studied this, when they worked out to see if the... Bad, bad people in jail who've done all the very bad things had the worst self-esteem. We we found that they were narcissists. They actually thought of themselves more highly than they really ought to think. They were so self-aware and so loving themselves, they would do anything to anybody and they didn't care. So it was actually the opposite. The more self-image you had, the worse you became. You were self-important, self-interested, selfish and self-seeking. Humility, well, that just wasn't part of it. So when it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Get your head around that sober. Just, just common sense. Think about it. Sober judgment. It says, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. It's like... If you think too highly of yourself, there's a trap and a chain just there waiting to wrap you up. You think, and it's funny, when you watch, you know, Australian Idol or some other singing show and somebody stands up, this is the worst ten auditions, you know, and somebody stands up and they sing at the top of their voice and they're truly disgusting, it's horrible. It's the worst thing you've heard, and then the judges sit there and say, "That's the worst thing I've heard." And then they look at them and they are absolutely amazed. It's like that can't be true. All of my friends told me that I have a beautiful voice. No, it's horrendous. It's terrible. Don't you don't you can't sing. You can't. It's terrible. Don't don't bother to sing. You know, it's all. And and they get very upset. And they get, this is wrong. You are so cruel to us. And then they attack the judges because the judges obviously don't know what they're talking about because if they knew what they're talking about, they'd just understand that my voice is so wonderful. And you know what? Their voice is not wonderful. The problem is they have this self-image problem that distorts their perspective of reality. So when Paul says, think humbly, be humble, he says, Get your head around something. You're not, you're not going to be good at some stuff. Have a, a reasonable understanding of it. I can't sing. I'm not trying to sing. I'm not going to try and sing. I'm not going to stand up here and sing. I can paint, but I have a reasonable idea about how good that painting You think it's good. I know it's okay, but I've seen good, and it ain't that good. It's just okay. It's probably better than somebody else could do but it's not fantastic. Graham can make helicopters. Now, he's good at making helicopters, but you know what? There's a level of his goodness, his ability. And it's silly to say that you have a greater ability than you have. It's not wise and it's not thinking positive. It's just silly. It's not common sense. And we're told not to do that. What else are we told? You're told here to be completely humble. The second meaning is a deep sense of one's moral. I love this one. A deep sense of one's moral littleness. That's what humble means. A deep sense of one's moral. You know, one of the things that that, that, uh, we have in the church so often, is we we have godly people and ungodly people in church, right? You know the godly ones, hey? You think you do. But you don't. You just make judgments by appearances. And we have this sort of thing. If I can dress nice and come to church looking nice, with my white shirt on and my nice feet, you'll never know what I'm thinking. You'll never know how I am living. Because my outside is always very nice. You'll never know what's going on on the inside. And so we hide our moral littleness by putting on a facade of moral bigness. That was pharisaical. That's what the Pharisees used to do. They used to dress up the outside and they'd look very good and they used to lengthen the things and everybody would say, oh, that's a Pharisee, or such a learned man. And inside, Jesus said, there were dead men's bones, whitewashed tombs with dead men's bones inside. One of the things that the Pharisees weren't aware of was their moral littleness. They would stand before God and they would say, oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like Juliet." As though Juliet was something lesser than me. I actually get up 4.30 in the morning and I pray for Juliet. I actually read my Bible and I think this verse would be good for Juliet. I'm glad I'm not like Juliet. And Juliet comes to church and says, Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And God looks down and says, "Julia is morally bigger than me. Because the way God sees things, morally little is bigger than your thought of morally big. So humility is an awareness of one's moral littleness. Moral, upright, good, morality. Be aware that you're broken. One of the things that is common for all of us is our brokenness. This is Timothy. Uh, uh, Timothy's a young man, a young fellow, preaching in the church at Ephesus, and Paul writes to him, and and he says in in chapter 1, he says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And of course you could say, he could say, yeah, and we, you, we were once sinners, but now we've been saved by grace. We are children and sons of God, you know. This is at the end of Paul's life. In the next chapter, he talks about he's going to go and get his head chopped off in the next book. You know, so he, he's, he's an old man now, and in his wisdom, in his old age, he's come to this point, and he says, you know what? No, the older I get, the closer I get to God. And the closer I get to God, the, the the better I see myself. The closer I get to God, the better I see myself, the more little I become because God is so better and so bigger and so more pure. And I am going to see him soon and I've become smaller and smaller and smaller in the contemplation of that. And so Paul says, he doesn't say I'm a saint, and an apostle, I'm an apostle ready to, to you know pioneer the church. No, no, no. He says... I am the chief or the number one sinner. Put him in a row, put sinners in a row. Put the worst one in front. I'm him. I'm the worst. So that's moral littleness. It's not an awareness of the fact that you didn't break the 10 commandments. It's an awareness of the fact that because you're not in heaven, you're still missing the mark so often and so regularly that you still need His grace and you have to put your faith in Him because you can't get there any other way. Moral littleness, humility. It also means modesty, humility, lowliness of mind. Lowliness of mind. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. This is this where, this. if I'm important, you know, how important are you? Well, Paul says, if you are nothing, then everybody else is more important than you. So it's that whole moral littleness, that whole point of recognising that the self-esteem bug is really just a bug. You ought to get that out of you and you ought to humble yourself before God and recognise that your esteem is, is meant to be broken before God. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, not those who are great in their self-esteem he says, if that's the case, you are less than everybody else is more. And that's how your attitude should be in this walk that you take. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, it says in Galatians, you just deceive yourself. So this selfish ambition, that is, uh, this selfish ambition that's mentioned in, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition, is an electioneering thing. It's like a political thing. So when it's coming up, we have an election coming up and you have um, um, our Prime Minister and the Opposition Leader getting as much time as they can on the TV and you're watching the news and you're believing everything that's coming out of it, I hope not. Um, And then they'll start talking to you. And so there's a subtle game that's being played in in your ears. Um, Mr. Rabbit, rah, 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 and put down. And then you'll get Mr. Rabbit. He'll say, Julia, Gillard, rah, 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 put down. And each one of these put downs of the other person is an electioneering thing to try and get you to be convinced that one is better than the other. They came from the same hole, folks. They come out of the same pit. All that electioneering and ambition comes from a demonic pit it's full of the demonic ideas Listen, what you need to do and make you understand is that the spirit of jesus wants you to express and exude out of you an attitude that is embracingly other orientated than it is self-orientated and puts others before you rather than it puts yourself first and that's the walk that we've been called to that's the calling that we have He says, be completely humble. So it's this having a humble opinion about oneself, a deep sense of one's moral littleness, and modesty, humility, and lowliness of mind. He says, though, be gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, the word gentle is an interesting word in the Greek because it means meekness or mildness. Now, you've heard that song, "Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. I've never heard anything so rubbishful in all my life. Jesus was very little. If you say Jesus was, I can say he was meek. Yeah, he, he he was maintained control when he was being persecuted and punished and hurt. He didn't cry out. He was meek, but mild. Would you call Jesus mild? Would you? you know, what is mild? Not strength. You know, look at you. Know, you got robust, strong cheese, or you've got. Um, mild cheese I mean what cheese would you use if you were going to make a lasagna you know sauce what would you use would you use a mild cheese or a strong cheese well, my wife would use a strong cheese. Why? Because it gives flavor, a robustness of flavor. You need some strength. Now, was Jesus mild? Did he was just Like, you know, what do you believe Jesus? Oh, well, you know, I just... Everybody just feel good about each other, you know? That's what I'm believing. I'm just for, You know, the, the Pharisees say this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, listen to what the Pharisees say. They're a, You know, you know, we, we, we don't want to be causing waves here. We don't want to stir the boat up, you know? You know, a little bit of Pharisee here, a little bit of Sadducee there, a little bit of in there, you know? Whatever, you know, we're just just walk the middle line keep everybody at peace is that mild? that's toleration that's mild but, you know if they want to get married let them get married that's okay men to men woman and woman You know, it'll dry out in that generation that they won't have any children oh yeah we, 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 just let's be mild about this would you call Jesus mild? definitely not in terms of his opinions but in his attitude probably disposition probably mold is a feasible way of describing him controlled moderated only when the father told him to kick up his heels and turn the tables over and get upset about that because that's a bad thing would he do that other other than that they couldn't get him to work on stuff they couldn't rouse him they couldn't provoke him wasn't able to be provoked So this mild is not talking about a conviction because you are told to be light in a dark world. So you're told to have strong convictions. But it's about how you hold those convictions and how you use those convictions. Now, if you want to sit down and talk about the things that I truly strongly believe, I could sit down and I could say, this is what I really strongly believe. And I could put Cheryl on the other side of me and say, she's Cheryl... What do you firmly, strongly believe? And she can sit down and she say, I strongly, firmly believe these things. And we could look at those two things and say, well, this is my view and look at your view. And then we can be both very strong about our convictions. You know, you can't shift Cheryl from her convictions. You can try... But you probably won't because she's been, a, she's been there a long time building those convictions. She started young and she started to build those things up and now she's been in, in, the, in, in God's work for how long? You've been how long in there? 30, 40 years? Longer than you care to admit. So she, she knows why she believes what she believes. It's firm, it's strong. And I know what I believe. And if, perchance we should believe something different two strongs coming together in a church what will that produce well it can produce conflict and if it produces conflict you've got two dogs screaming about dogma that's what you got you haven't got the attitude of jesus which is mild let everybody be convinced in their own mind he says you know, if you can't get a handle on that and you're not sure about that, well, you know, if she is, then it's fine. You know, is it pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation? Haven't thought about it? Well, when you do, come and see me. I'll probably differ from you. Is it Calvinism or Arminianism? If you haven't worked that one out, go and see Liz. She'll tell you. And you might not agree with her. You know... That's where you have to stop and think, what is this mild? Gentle. We are to gently instruct. We are to be gentle in our manner. Well, this is the walk. I mean, we get so strong and so head mighty, and then that mixes with our self-esteem, because we didn't lay that down. We got ourselves, well, this is me, you know. This is... What I believe, you know, and when she comes and talks to me and what I believe, she's attacking me and my ideas and and I've got to fight for me. I've got to stand and defend me because if I don't defend me, who will defend me? I've got to stand up for myself and so we do it in church and then bang and the church doesn't exist anymore because we've got all these little people standing up and fighting for themselves on stuff they're told to be mild about. This is the walk that we've been called to. Gentleness. You want to find some strong beliefs, you can find them. They're in here. i got strong beliefs in here, under that singlet. In my heart, I believe some things, extremely strongly. But I won't fight with you about those things. I'll try and correct you if I think you're in danger. But if I don't think that what you're believing is going to take you in danger, it just makes you different, I will not fight you. Because we're asked to be gentle. Now, if you want to say that Jesus isn't the Son of God, we will have a chat. But if you wanted to know whether he wore sandals or slippers, or whether his eyes were blue or brown, or whether we ate fish on Fridays. We're not going to talk about that. (laughs) So it's this disposition of meekness. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. word patient, ruling over your pain and discomfort. Nathan, you're going to have a child if you thought that you had a handle on patience <laughs> you have entered into the school of forbearing you're very good at patience Jade you're following right behind I do not want you coming to my place when it becomes too hard because patience is the thing that stands up underneath and just sucks in the pain and keeps on going when I was younger I used to do uh, physical work Carlos and I, we used to work didn't we that was hard work we used to work concrete. So we'd get in the concrete and the concrete truck would come and we would pour concrete and then we would have to work that concrete until it was going off. Now, when the sun is bearing down on the concrete, the concrete goes off faster than it is if it's not. And so by the time you're putting the concrete in if there's lots of concrete, you're spreading it out and you're getting and your screeding it. The concrete has got a chemical and it, it makes it go off. Like it, like it dries fast Concrete, when it dries fast, gets harder to move So you put it in and out of the truck and it's sloppy and wet And it's like just this dragging like wet sand, you know So you drag it It's all very cool when you start Then you step back into it to try and screed it And you notice that it's starting to hold back Your foot isn't going so far into it as it was when it was coming out of the truck It's only been a half an hour In fact, when you put your hand on it, it's hot so the concrete is hot. It's heating up. And the sun is beating down. And so you start to screed it. Carlos, can you get that? Just, just take some of the... Get some oil from this side. It's getting hard to pull. And as you're pulling it, all the muscles in your body and your back are starting to hurt and the concrete is getting hard and dry now. You can actually feel it's, it's like... It's not like, the, it's not like the icing on the cake anymore. It's, it's hard to push it. It's like it's drying... So now you're pulling and and you're feeling the pain. You remember those days? Hey, up the hill with a barrow. You remember those days? I remember those days well. In the midst of that, you feel pain, but it's stopping an option. You can't stop. You, You can't stop. If you stop. You lose the job. You have to get a jackhammer tomorrow and jackhammer it out. You cannot stop. You have to keep on going. And when you keep on going, it means you're going to get more pain. So now that the you've got, you know, you've got 99.9% pain and, and, and it's looking and the sun's beating and everybody's there and, and there's now more pain coming because you have to go to 150% pain. And what are you going to do? You're going to swear at people. You're going to throw things at people. Get out of here and start shouting at people. Did I did I do that? I, don't, I can't remember doing that. I hope I didn't do that. <laughs> I know some people did. <laughs> you just were patient, because patient comes into it when there is pain involved. With patience forbearing, standing up underneath and just saying, This is it, this is the grit, this is the thing. I'm just gonna keep on going until I finish this now. Keep on going until I'm finished. I'm looking and it's it's glistening in the sun. It's looking like it's a keep on going until I'm finished. Keep on going until I'm finished. Now back on top of it again. And when you want to stop and you want to have a drink and you want to have a rest, you want your body is aching all over and you cannot stop. You've got to keep on moving, keep on moving. Why? Because if you you Do not keep on moving, the thing will stay, sit behind you, and you will have to dig it up tomorrow and start again. Patience is necessary when there's pain involved, and the thing that causes most pain in our lives is not concrete. The thing that causes most pain in our lives are people who are thoroughly mixed up and absolutely set like concrete. That's what causes most pain in our lives. People. And when people cause us pain, the word of God doesn't say in this walk that you turn around and snot them. It says that you grin and you bear it and you keep on going even when there's heaps of pain. And new mums and dads, children know exactly how to inflict the worst kind of pain and you just have to wait for them to grow up, which may take some time. <laughs> they have another era, in, you know. That we're in, in sociology, they had they used to have um, um, what do they call that elementary years. Then they had adolescents and then they had um, um, young adults. <laughs> The adolescent thing has spread itself. they have pre adolescent now they have mid adolescent and they have po- post adolescent well it 's just like and it goes from they tell us it goes from eleven to around about thirty five or something like that i 'm not joking that 's the truth. you read it you don 't they say adolescence finishes when young people individuate they become adults so the longer you stay at home with mum and dad the longer you stay in adolescence <laughs> that's not an option to go out though but that's just the way it is be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love. John chapter thirteen, verse thirty four and thirty five says, A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. One of the things that it really amazes me is that Jesus is the sum total of to all that. You can imagine walking around with the with the twelve disciples. You know, okay, one of them's the devil. That's Judas. I mean, even when he chose and Jesus chose him, he said, Yeah, you're the you're the you're the problem boy you're the problem child you're going to be a problem all the way through this whole exercise he knew him so he had to he had to have the pain of Judas the whole time every time somebody was complaining about you know something you know being sold or wrecked you know either look at her she's pouring out the ointment all over it she's got to be sold and given to the you know Judas Judas you know he wants the money for the pot because he's putting some money in the, his pocket from the he looks after the money bag Judas and then you've got the ignorance of the disciples. You know, they, they, you know, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of God? You know, it's, no, it's uh, got to be Peter, you know. No, no, it's not. And, and, and Jesus looks at them and says, when are you going to have some faith? You know, they're all upset because the, the winds and the waves are blowing, you know, and they're going to, they're going to drown, you know. You have little faith. And even right up to the very end, and he's now spent three years, poured himself out into these people, talked to them every day, six, seven days a week, he's just poured out into these disciples. They sat with them, they ate with them, they walked with them, they talked with them, they prayed with them, they smiled, they laughed, they cried. They did everything with Jesus for three years. That was three years of education from the master himself. And when it comes to the Garden of Gethsemane, they all bolt, they all run away, they all go to sleep. Why? Except for one. Why? Because they just don't get it. Uh, you can imagine Jesus just groaning Uh, had it not been the fact that he could see what was coming and the power of the Holy Spirit to make a difference in their lives I think he would have said why would I bother why would I bother So Jesus is the expression of all this, because of his great love, his bountiful love for us. He just loves us so much, you know, and he just pours that love out like a beautiful father, eternal father, pours his love out for us. Yes, Jesus, the eternal father. I know, Jesus is the son of God, but he's also the eternal father. Wrap your head around that. Jesus, the love of God, just pouring itself out for us, you know, showing this incredible patience with us, long-suffering with us. Now, how many times can you sin and come back to God and have forgiveness? You're trying to get a number of, aren't you? You know, shall we sin that grace should abound? Yeah, I suppose so. Well, well, that's what we do in practice, isn't it? Well, that's what we expect, that he's abounding. Grace should always be there for us because we've found that he is long-suffering and patient and forgiving. Not that we should exploit that, but that's what he is. He says, and you love when you've got this love for one another, like Jesus had love for you. He said, this is a this is a real testimony of God's goodness. So when you come into this place in the morning, and you are greeted by one another in the morning, and there's this beautiful humility and this gentleness and this this lovely patience and forgiveness towards one another and a forbearing with one another, a refusal to go to task and debate and argue with one another, then this becomes a a beautiful place, a place of of great rest, a place of of, goodness. Goodness. Because we're endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit. And the word endeavouring means to hasten, to make haste. You know, you are exerting oneself to keep the unity of the Spirit. Like, it's not, like, okay, Julie and I can run into it. We can have a, a serious difference on, on something. And I say, well, I have a difference of opinion now. And, she has, and Warwick's not here, so I can go toe to toe with her. I don't have to worry about Warwick. If I'm walking this walk, the most important thing for me would be to make haste towards, to endeavor to put every effort in, keeping it sweet between us. Understand that? That's where I'm making the effort. I'm not making the effort to point out the differences, I'm making the effort to say, this is the likenesses, these are our unities. So I'm making this place a safe place. Not a scary place. So that when Barbara comes in and she sees that we have a difference, she still feels safe. Because this is a safe place. What do your kids feel like when mum and dad start having a blue? They sit in the corner and watch as the screaming takes place. One to one side of the room, one to the other side of the room, screaming, throwing, yelling. be so watching. It's not a safe place. Home is meant to be a safe place. Church is meant to be a safe place. So exert yourself. Endeavour to give all diligence to keep it safe place. Endeavouring to keep the unity, to attend carefully to it, to take guard of it. The unity is the agreement that you have in God, in the bond of peace. The bond is something that is tied up and chained together. And the things that tied up and chained together is peace. And I love the word peace because it has these three words. This is what we want in this church for all nations. This seems almost impossible to put those two things together, isn't it? In a church for all nations, we want to have peace where cultural differences are so big that an African can't sit, well, we can take a Burundi, can't sit with a Swahili or or something, you know, whatever, you know, where the differences, are or whether somebody from West Indies can sit with an Australian, you know, cultural differences. We want peace. What does it mean? It means security, a state of being free from danger and threat. Church needs to be a place... Where it is free from danger of, 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 of um, threat. You don't come to church to be threatened, to feel dang- like there's danger there. If people can't come near you and they feel like it's dangerous to approach you, then maybe you need to adjust and moderate your, your mildness factor so that people are more approachable. You know, am I approachable? I don't know. Don't answer that question. Nobody answer that question. I would not ask that question. That's a dangerous question to ask. I should have vetted that before. I, <laughs> I hope that I'm. I hope that I'm approachable. Some people think I don't. I'm not, but I, I think I am. I approach myself every day. <laughs> Hi, Mark. Hi. How are you? Prosperity state of flourishing and thriving so we want in our church to it to be a a place that is free from threat a free uh, from threat and danger we we want it to be a place of flourishing and thriving where people flourish they grow they thrive one of the lovely things about this fellowship and I know it's coming past 11 o'clock but I don't care is that I remember when you darling were born yeah I remember when you were born you're just a little girl she was born in England wasn't she yeah and I remember when Josh was two he lived at my place then remember he was the naughtiest little (coughs) oh what I like to smack his little oh it was just like Nathan I know (laughs) he was just a little you know stand up will you stand up yeah sit down now you've still got control over him (laughs) he was small but you know what I look now and I see young people who are thriving and flourishing it's home church a place even though I'm a naughty little wretch and immature and where I can thrive where I can flourish where I can grow Mm. nice I like it and Felicity Felicity what a lovely that's just the other meaning for peace Felicity it's a girl's name Felicity anybody know a girl called Felicity I love this word Felicity it's an African almost isn't it yeah Felicity It means the quality of being happy. I don't come to church to be sad. (laughs) You might do that occasionally. Get sad when you're at church. But it should be a place of happiness. Where do you want to live? Do you want to live in a home which makes you feel unhappy all the time and sad? It's a dangerous place, a fearful place. Or do you want to live in a home? Do you want to live in a place where you can thrive? And where when you mix with people around you, you feel a sense of happiness. Just love being there. That's what God is calling us to. This is the walk that we have. He says in John chapter 17, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity that the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them just as, I, as you have loved me. This is the testimony of this walk that we have with each other, this gentle, mild, meek, forbearing love with one another. This, in Colossians he says, Therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It's not just one place. He said, he said this is the key. This is the key to the sweet kisses that we have as we get together. Come here Ben, let me kiss you. I love you. I hug you. I warm, compassionate. This stuff here. Understanding. A place where it's nice to thrive, a lovely place to be when you're getting old. You know, he's young man now. One day he'll become old. And when you get old, if we're still here, I hope you still come to our place. You're probably going to leave us though one day, aren't you? I don't. No, we hope not. We'll have to make him stay. Hey, give him a hug. See everybody, give him a hug and make sure he stays. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If you have any grievance against anyone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Why? This is the basis for it. There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called and one hope of calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. We have one dad. Stand up, everyone. Just stand up, please. I want you to turn to the person beside you. Look them square in the eyes. Keep that, keep that vision on their eyes. You know what we do is we look and then we turn away. I suppose that's African. You don't want to look in people's eyes, but look in their eyes. Look. Look. Are you Are looking in their eyes? It's hard, isn't it? This, uh, hold it. Stay there. Keep looking. Don't stare. You can blink. Susie, blink. Yeah. Okay, look. I love you. Tell the person that you love them. I love you. Thank you for coming to church today. May God bless your life. May this be a sweet place for you. Amen.